Shall we pray shortly to ask for God's blessing? Heavenly Father, we recognize our need and our dependence upon your grace. Even when the word is opened, when it's read, when it's proclaimed, it's your spirit that opens it up. You use feeble and weak men to your glory. So, Father, would you do a miracle today and speak to us from your word? We pray, Lord, that there is any pride in us that it may be exposed by your Holy Spirit and you will bring us to repentance before you and that we'll recognize the poverty of our spirit today and as a response with joy receive your graces, receive the kingdom that you have provided for us. So, Lord, speak for us. Speak to us for your glory. May the Lord Jesus Christ be exalted and may the Spirit be amongst us. Thank you, Father, for the joy that you give to us today. In your blessed name, Father. Amen. Amen. So, uh, the famous Sermon on the Mount. We started the series of preaching at Ryaj just about a week ago on the Sermon on the Mount itself. And it is one of the D sermons of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not one of eight sermons, it's one of D sermons. When Christ proclaimed the mysteries of his kingdom, of the people that belong there, and the blessings that are waiting on the people who belong to God. This, is, this has been a life-changing experience. When you go and stop and ponder on the significance of every single word. And this is what we will do with verse 3 today. But just to give you a little background to, to the story, we read verses 23 to 25 for a, for a reason. Because the Lord has begun his ministry and uh, he was most of all at this time going around the area of Galilee. Uh, around Caesarea and Nazareth. So the Lord... The Lord has been preaching and teaching in the synagogues. He has been proclaiming the gospel all throughout the region. And because of his healing power and because of his teaching, the Spirit was drawing people from all around. So we've got people from Syria. They were not even Israelites. Those people were from pagan Gentiles coming to see him. There were people from Judea and Jerusalem, from all around Galilee and Decapolis, which were the... There were Hebrew cities, but somehow Hellenized by the culture of the, of the Romans themselves. But all the people flocked to him. And at this time, the Lord Jesus went outside of the city of Caesarea, went on the high mountain, the high hill that overlooks the city and the beautiful lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. And he sat down to teach his disciples but it so happened as well that crowds, a multitude of people, joined in to listen to his wisdom and what he was going to say. Now, do we have another person in the Bible who went into, onto the mountain to receive the word from God? Moses. Yes, if you've been there, if you... If you see the connection, you are making it right, because this is exactly what Matthew is implying. Several times in the Gospel of Matthew, he makes a connection between Christ and the life of Moses, 
And now he is no different because the same words he went on the mountain are exactly also found three times in the Greek Old Testament when Moses went onto the mountain. So Matthew portrays the Lord Jesus Christ as a new Moses according to the promise from the Old Testament that God will raise a prophet like me, said Moses. Listen to him. And here Matthew introduces the new Moses, the better, the greater Moses, who teaches people not about the kingdom of Israel, not of the earthly kingdom, but of the kingdom of God. How wonderful is that? The Lord Jesus Christ was going to turn the teachings of the time upside down. This as John MacArthur says, and you have to love this brother for his, for his language, he says this is a merciless assault on the teachings of the Pharisees. That's his words. That's typical John MacArthur for you. But everything what Christ would say is a blessing and a favor and a benefit Pharisees despise. The 12 Beatitudes, the Beatitudes that I've read, were something that the Pharisees would despise with their lives. They would say... No way. This cannot be true. And we'll see that in a few moments. Not much have, cha- not much have changed, my friends, since then. So, the section is called the Beatitudes. So, you can really split this word Beatitudes into two, and you will receive Beatitudes. Beatitudes. So, this is how the people of the kingdom ought to be like what we ought to be those who belong to the kingdom of god are like this they will show these characteristics to us and really what i would like to look at today are those three questions that you have on your on your sheets what does it mean to be blessed really it is so highly misinterpreted word today among uh, certain groups and churches. So we'll see what does the word means. Who is the one who is the blessed one and what belongs to that person who received the blessing. So let's go to verse 3 together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. Blessed. Any ideas what this word may mean? What is the meaning behind it? Oh, come on. There are no bad answers, but... Uh, be greatly favored by God, really. Absolutely. You've captured it, brother. In many of the places today, including the prosperity teachers, it just means happiness, joy. It's... Uh, just a feeling that you have. You, God made you happy and rejoicing. And this is as far as they really go. But in reality, this word does denounce. It describes how we feel. But as a result of the favor that comes from God. It doesn't describe the subjective feelings, but objective reality. This is something what God has done for us. So... The word is Macarius, and it describes a believer in enviable position. 
from receiving God's provisions, His favors, which literally transcends God extended His grace and His benefits upon that person. In Romans chapter 4, for example, we read of David who received the blessing from God when he says, Blessed is the one whose sins are forgiven. It's the same word used there. Pastor Tim Conway in his sermon, I've listened to it two weeks ago. He was so fortunate. I was preparing my sermon and then, uh, and then on Friday, Pastor Tim Conway on the evening had his sermon on exactly the same passage as I did. And this is what he says about this word. Jesus is not speaking subjectively here about the feelings, but objectively about the truth and our position. He's declaring people, he's declaring people's means favorite. It means to be an object. Oh, he's declaring people who are poor in spirit are blessed. It's not just an emotional state. The real issue is that blessed means favored. It means to be an object, a recipient of God's special grace. It means to be privileged. It means the one upon whom God smiles. And I love that, love that last sentence. When you think of the word blessed as the one whom God favored, the one upon whom God smiles upon, you've captured the meaning of the word. So this is where we are. In the Bible, there are only two categories of people. There are the blessed ones. There are the ones who have found favor in God's sight. These are the ones upon whom God bestowed his blessings and forgiveness. But there is also the second category of people who are cursed by God. Those are the people who not inherit his kingdom. Those are the people who follow their pride. They follow their own devices. And they will not receive his kingdom. Do you know that the last word in the Old Testament is cursed? So Spurgeon says, so it is appropriate that in his first recorded sermon for us, the Lord Jesus Christ opened it with the word blessed. All the difference between the law and the new covenant. The law condemns us. It presents us as sinners before God. Cursed so that we may run to Christ and receive the blessing. How wonderful that is. So, blessed means that you are favored by God and under his divine smile. This is what one Peter was declaring when we read it today in the morning. How blessed we are by the Father. The blessing of the kingdom. The blessing of the salvation. The blessing of the treasure that cannot be taken away from us. This is all coming from Him. And we praise His name together. How favored we are, believers. So now the second question comes. Who are the blessed ones of God? Who are they? What are they like? How can we recognize them from among the crowds, even within the church itself? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me ask you this question. Whom would the ordinary people in Judea 
at the time of the Lord Jesus Christ declared to be or taught to be favored by God. When they would look at that person, they would say, this is the person who must have the favor of God. God really is blessing his life and we can see that with our own eyes. Sorry? The Pharisees, yeah. They would, they would say to, the, to themselves, because they are so zealous for God, because they do so many righteous and good things, oh, and their life is going so well, that they are rich, they are prosperous, and that's mostly what Pharisees were. They would say, we definitely have a blessing from God. We are favored by Him. But not only that. Remember John the, John the Baptist saying to the Pharisees, don't say to yourself that you are children, yeah, children of Abraham because the axe is put next to the root to cut you down and God can raise from this stone's children of Abraham. See, Jewish people at the time, they thought that they inherit the favor of God simply on the basis of the genealogy of who they were their nationality or their religious affiliation. And the Lord Jesus Christ and John the Baptist were putting those things to a rest in their ministry. And the Pharisees were shaking. They couldn't take it. But coming apart from that, what would people today told you that these are the people definitely favored by God in our society today. If there is a God, these people must be really, really favored by Him. They've got good karma, as people say. I don't believe in karma, by the way, but this is what people say. These are the guys who are definitely favored in our society. Oh, come on, be brave. <laughs> Sorry? The celebrities. The celebrities, yes. Look at them, they're on the pedestal. They, have, they are the height of their popularity and career. They've got everything they want in life. They must be favored. Yes. How many people want to be like them? Oh, how many of us fallen into that trap, eh? Yeah, we used to be a fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> no, thank you. Not anymore. <laughs> Never developed a German accent though, so don't worry. <laughs> but it's true. People think that we may be favored because of our status today. Maybe because of our learning. Or because you may meet people. You know, as a Christian, you go through so much difficulties in life and traps and trials. Poverty, the times when you are under severe attack from everywhere. And then you, you notice... and. By the way, this is what many prophets of the Old Testament ask God about. And then you see people who are not only rich, they are happy, they look like walking perfection, and you think, and people think to yourself, well, if there is anyone who got it all together, these are the people. And yet, they don't believe in God. They don't serve Him. But everything just comes easy in life. Or maybe favored are the brave, those who just simply go for it, those who have businesses that go be beyond or good people in a church that are just they, they have something to offer God listen I'm just a sinner I have nothing to bring to God but these people look at them they do so many good and wonderful works they 
They have something to really bring before God's table and to say that God will really smile upon them. The Lord Jesus Christ is demolishing this in this passage. This is a false assumption. Look again what he is telling to us. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, do you want to know what this word means? Again, when you really go into the Greek, biblehub.com, you will be greatly surprised. That just doesn't mean a poor person as a, you know, you've got a job and you've got a, your little car and you still, still manage somehow your life. It doesn't, denote this, it doesn't describe this type of poverty. It speaks about a beggar. That was a Greek word for somebody who owns nothing. Who has literally nothing. Who is dependent absolutely on the help from other people. He's not able to work. That person is not able to support themselves. Their own life. They have nowhere to live. They rely on the grace of others. So the word often was used to crouch or cover over. Like a, like a beggar. To completely lack resources. To be a helpless as a beggar. That's what used to be told. So now bring it into spiritual dimension. Poor in spirit. What do you think that means? I have nothing to offer to God. Exactly. This, is, this ought to be our attitude when we come to church. My friends, I have nothing to boast before God. I have nothing to bring to the table. When I come to God, I'm fully exposed by Him saying, Lord, you know of my life and you know I cannot impress you with anything I do. I come to you as a beggar to receive your graces. That's the only way I can approach you. I have nothing to offer to the table. I have nothing to bring before you. Be merciful. Be gracious to me. So often... I would describe this as a bankrupting spirit in merit. We have nothing to bring before God. Now, we sang this wonderful hymn, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Now, the words say, Nothing in my hands I bring, Simply to thy cross I cling, Naked come to thee for dress, Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. This is denounces the person who is hungry, hungry for God to rescue him, to help him, to lift him up, to give him something. And the Lord described also that in Luke chapter 18. So Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisees really captured the difference of the day. So Jesus also told this parable to some, notice, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, but treated others with contempt. He says that two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, a Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, 
unjust, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a day. I give tithes of all that I get. And you know what? In his own eyes, yes, he had many things going for him. Well educated, everything what he wanted. Serving God. I mean, knowing that the Old Testament from the beginning to the end, several times over, those were the Pharisees, zealous for God, and they pride themselves in having their righteousness built up above the level of everybody else. That's what they were told, and this is what Apostle Paul was like. But notice in the verse 13 what God says. But the tax collector, that's still from Luke 18, but the tax collector standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is what the Lord says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The tax collector will be like him. Are these any extortioners, any, any person who gained money by a righteous gain, a, a prostitute, somebody who wouldn't even dare to enter into the house of God. They would just stand at the door at the entrance, beat their chest and say, Lord, I'm not, I have nothing. Plus, just forgive me for what I did. Forgive me for what I've done with tears in their eyes. And the Lord will see that person and say, this person is justified. I mean, do we still believe the words from the first hymn hymn that we sang, the the foulest, the worst offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives? Do we still believe that? Amen. Because that's us. When Christ opened our eyes, we had nothing to offer. When the Holy Spirit showed us our spiritual poverty, we could only hide and beg God to forgive us. We bring nothing. Only our sins, only our tears. And God is gracious and merciful to forgive. This is the person upon whom God smiles. This is the one whom God favors or how that changes everything isn't it imagine romans chapter 7 verse 18 paul says for i know that nothing good dwells in me that is quite a statement to say isn't it i know that nothing good dwells in me and he's he's not saying about his past life he's saying now at this moment i know that nothing good dwells in me not about my past life now i know that is in my flesh for i have a desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out verse 24 wretched man that i am who would deliver me from this body of death i'm praising god for verse 25 Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. How can I be saved? Believers, you know, one of the greatest battles that you are going to have is that you're not good enough for God. One of the greatest and most damaging whispers of Satan is to tell you, if you are a believer and if you've done this, 
Oh, you think you're following God, but look at you now. You have nothing to offer. God is right to cast you out from his presence. You are experiencing what Paul experienced in Romans chapter 7. I recognize that there is nothing good dwelling in me. But praise be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God for the one who died for a sinner like me. You know, Christian life is not something like, well, you are pardoned and now God is demanding from you that your level of righteousness will reach a perfection and somehow then as a believer you will deserve heaven. Absolutely not. Yes, we are called to do good works. We are saved to do good works. Don't, please don't, don't, I don't want to sound like I'm encouraging, encouraging sin. I, I'm not at all. But we're never going to reach perfection in this life, in any area of our life. There will be all areas of our lives will be spoiled by sin as long as we live in this life so that we'll rely on the grace of Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say that we start Christian life with God's grace. We bring nothing to the table. We continue by God's grace in our lives. We start, we continue with God's grace, and we end with God's grace. Because the gospel is the message of God's grace. Salvation by the grace through faith. We offer nothing. Actually, we only offer our sins that need to be forgiven by God. How wonderful that is. See, but the world today naturally don't want to admit it, doesn't it? You know, and, and, and we ourselves, we may fall into this, that we may seek excuses that, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad as this person. Or I go to the church. I give to the charity. You, I, I run the food bank. I, I run these things. God, there, there are some really good things in me that you would really smile upon and favor. Friends, even our best deeds are spoiled by sin. We are told in Isaiah 64 verse 4 that we have all become like the one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. You know, uh, it's amazing how God is patient and gracious with us. So my friends, we send, Satan whispers to your ear that you are not good enough for God. You know what Martin Luther would say? Praise the Lord. So I'm a sinner. And Christ died for us sinners. I am saved. How I praise the Lord for the reformers. For the boldness. How wonderful that is. You know. If. You are a believer. Because God opened your eyes to your spiritual poverty. Amen to that. Amen. You know that the work of evangelists would be super easy if people would recognize that they are sinners. But truly and really, the only thing that stops people from coming to Christ is that they don't see that they are sinners. They may say, oh, I'm not perfect. You know, I'm not that. But they don't really mean this. What they really mean is, well, I'm not maybe that perfect, but there are good things in my life. Oh, you know, I'm still better than this person. Oh, you got this person in the church. Oh, I know what that person done years ago. I've never done these things in my life. I'm a good person. And this is the problem of our society. The evangelism, you would see a revival today if people would recognize they are sinners. Then they would run to the cross. The problem is people don't see their spiritual poverty. They want to be rich in themselves. 
And that is the problem. So friends, if God truly opened your eyes to see your spiritual bankruptcy, you are blessed. In Christ's words, you are the one who is favoured. If you see that nothing good dwells within you, even today, and you are cast down, Christ is telling you are the one upon whom God truly smiles. You are the one. If you are the one who mourn over your sin and inability to please God, you are the favoured one of God. How wonderful that is. Spurgeon says that everyone can start here. It isn't first blessed are the pure or the, or the holy or the spiritual or the wonderful. He says everyone can be poor in spirit. Not what I have, but what I have not is the first point of contact between my soul and God. Amen to that. God is wonderful. The sacrifices of God are broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart of God you will not despise or you will not cast away. So my friend, if God opened your eyes to your spiritual poverty today, if the Spirit has showed you that you have nothing to bring to God, then know this, the Spirit of God is at work in you. You are the favourite one of God. If you are broken under the weight of your sin, Run to Christ. For the Savior has been provided for you. Who died on the cross to take the shame. Take your pain. Take the damage you've done with your sins. And nail them to the cross. Never to be remembered again. Hallelujah to the Savior. So my friends. Lastly. What is God's blessing to the spiritually bankrupt? What is his favor to those who recognize there's nothing to commend in them. He says, verse 3 again, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's notice, first of all, the language here. The Lord is not saying to us, Blessed will be the poor in spirit, for theirs will be the kingdom of heaven. The Lord is neither saying, Blessed were the poor in spirit, for there was the kingdom of heaven. No, he says this is a present reality. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you are like this, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Full stop. Full stop. Cannot be taken away, has been given to you. If God opened your eyes to your sin, you are his. This is a mark of a true believer. This is the work of God. Nobody else can do it. Or we can look to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 18. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 18. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. No, he will be, not he was. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this from God. From God. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See how amazing God is. He's not giving the kingdom on the basis of nationality. 
On the basis of religiosity. On the basis of our achievement. He's not telling us you have to climb this high mountain to somehow get to heaven. And only a chosen few from there who achieve this high, le- high level of knowledge. Or you name it. Or merit. Will get there. He's telling us all you need to do is for the Holy Spirit to open your eyes to spiritual poverty and your peace. I'm in agreement with Pastor Tim Conway that if God has started and opened your eyes to your spiritual poverty, that person will is in Christ already. The work of the Spirit has begun and that person will run to Christ. That person's soul will not have rest until it will find it in Christ Jesus. Amen. The kingdom of God belongs to those who realize that they are sinful. Just one more quote from Spurgeon. I I just loved it when I read it. He says, The poor in spirit are lifted from the dunghill and said, Not among hired servants in the field, but among the princes in the kingdom. Now, the poor in spirit, the word sounded if they describe owners of nothing. And yet, they describe the inheritors of all things. Happy poverty. Millionaires sinking to insignificance. The treasures of the Indies evaporating smoke. While to the poor in spirit remains a boundless, endless, faultless kingdom, which renders them blessed in the esteem of him who is God over all, blessed forever. Have you ever been to the Tower of London? Have you seen the royal treasures, the Kohinoor, the, the beauties of the Indies that were transported to the United Kingdom? I'm not going to tell how or who and for what reasons. It's not my place. But they are there. And you see on those shiny objects and you think, wow, how amazing and wonderful those things are. Spurgeon is telling to us with a full certainty, those things are nothing. For those who believe in Christ Jesus, God has given the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom that is unspoiled. Kingdom that cannot be taken away. Kingdom that is filled with joy, with blessing, as is filled with God, first of all. God is there. Nothing that is sinful or wicked or lying can leave or spoiled can be in the presence of God. Perfection awaits the children of God. There will be no tears in heaven. And even if any will be there, the Savior will be there to wipe them away from our faces. Friends, I still think of John the Apostle at the Lord's table when he was reclining on the Lord's, say, on the Lord's chest. He simply wanted to be as close to his heart as possible. He loved him. He loved him as a child loves his father. And this is what's going to happen in heaven. This perfect unity with the Lord who loves us for all eternity. And this cannot be taken away. There will be, there will be no more grief. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more spoiling. There will be no more Brexits, pandemics. Take those things away. They will be gone and remembered no more. How? They are given by God's grace. God opens the eyes for his people. They see their poverty and they run to Christ for salvation. Empty-handed. How amazing. So friends, are you poor in spirit today? Then you're favored. Then you are blessed by God. 
Are you filled with yourself and with your own pride and with your own good deeds? Cast them away because they are on the way between, they are standing between you and God. You must enter empty-handed into the kingdom of God. You need to enter through Christ and Him alone. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen, my friends.